0: Awesome, so uh, how's everybody doing today? Nice. I deeply appreciate those lights because I like seeing you. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I don't like, you know, I know that the the church thing is to have all the lights down and everybody's like, ooh. Uh, But I really like seeing you, if I'm being honest. And so uh, I'm going to do that again because right now I said, how are you doing? And I had like a, mm, a good, and like two other like general guttural noises that I couldn't really understand. So I'm going to give it again, okay? How's everybody doing this morning? That's what I'm talking about. Let's do the energy. Let's keep it up because I am excited to share with us today. We're continuing our sermon series uh, here called Ashes to Ashes. And we have um, and it's really focusing on the season of Lent. Lent is this time where we prepare our hearts uh, to celebrate both the, the, the death of Jesus, but more the resurrection of Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts to consider his death and what that means and to celebrate the resurrection and what that means, uh, we oftentimes spend this season of Lent thinking about the causes for that, the, 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 what really brings about the need for the resurrection, what brings about the need for uh, the, the crucifixion. And, and we spent the, the first part of uh, the week, we spent the first part of the series talking about um just the, the mourning of sin, what that looks like. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, a little bit of what it means to suffer and, and why suffering is important. This week, I, I want to start with a bit of an anecdote because uh, we're going to talk about something. Uh, we're going to talk about trusting God. I'm just going to put that in front of you. However, uh, I think that the idea of trusting God is so critical to our actual faith in following Jesus. Why is that? Well, I'm going to give you a simple word. It's called Security. Security, everybody say security. In Atlanta, about four or five years ago, uh, yeah, I think it was four or five years ago, uh, there was this viral video, this viral picture that came out and it was this picture at a local hospital and I'm not gonna put the picture up, I thought about it a lot, y'all, but you'll see why I'm not gonna put the picture up in a second. And at this local hospital, the the guard, specifically I think it was the overnight guard, uh, some visitors came in and They looked at the guard at the front desk, and he quite literally had his chair cocked all the way back with his feet on the counter, gun at his side, and my man was out of there. He was sleep hard. So much so that they were like, and he wouldn't move. So they just took the picture and they sent it to the local news station and it went super viral, like people were talking about it. Unfortunately, maybe fortunately, uh, that individual got fired. Uh, I, I doubt that there's any re- like there was any question of like, why did I get fired? It's like, bruh, there's a picture of you asleep at the desk. Anybody could have walked in with anything at the hospital overnight. Uh, there was already security concerns at that specific hospital in recent weeks and that just kind of mounted on. And the reaction, I think, does tell us something. The reaction to that type of, of moment tells us something, right, that we value security, you value security. The majority of what causes anxiety in our life is not, is not some type of like, some, I'm not gonna say all the time, because sometimes there's, there is this fear of inadequacy that we have that we can wrestle with, but so often the fears of our life, the anxieties that come up are really focused on just the idea of whether we're gonna have security or not. We make choices on what's gonna be best for us. We, we make choices based on what's gonna produce the most security for us. It's a huge deal for us. And, and really, in the past couple of weeks, as we've been talking, um, you might have felt a little insecure. I mean, last week, I, I you know talk, got a chance to talk to a couple of you, and your feedback, well, at least the individuals that I talked to, this may not apply to you, but the individuals that I talked to expressed an appreciation for, um, us thinking more realistically about what suffering as a Christian looks like. in the fact that, hey, it's not unchristian to suffer. You will suffer. That's not unchristian. You don't faith suffering away. It is a part of life. In addition, there will be times in suffering and hard moments where you do not hear God. You do not sense God. There will likewise be times when your Bible reading and your prayers and everything like that don't feel like they're enough. Right? Like, like you think about stuff like that, and, and in the midst of the sermon, it was probably— it's probably difficult because I'm, I'm basically up here reading the Bible and telling you that the Bible is breaking down everything that you, you want more instinctively to rely on. It's just constantly coming and being like, you can't rely on that. You can't rely on that. And then pointing us back to God and, and asking us to rely on him. That's challenging. But in the midst of that, as we start to, to kind of realize that what we're, what we're grabbing onto is crumbling in our hands, right, it can produce this feeling of insecurity. They can produce this feeling of discouragement because of insecurity. So as we've talked about the past couple of weeks, so we wanted to take some time to think about what does security look like for the Christian? And most specifically, right, in that question, maybe at the root of that question, is another question, which is what does, what does trusting God, right, uh, what does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust God? I want us to think about this really carefully today because, let me be honest, I asked that question to a room full of people that, you know, to be honest, you've probably had that question asked to you before. And you probably have, like, a pretty good response. Some of you have gone through, like, foundations classes, and, uh, and you've had, like, these Bible studies. And, and realistically, the theological response that you've been fed, and I want to be very clear about this, the theological response you've been fed Most likely not the theological response that you've lived, but the theological response that you've been fed is one where it's like, oh, you know, you you give God all your burdens, and uh, and you experience peace that surpasses understanding. and, And so we have the right answers. When we think about this reality carefully, right, the question, what does it mean to trust God? Can have a very different answer when we approach scripture with a very honest approach. A very honest approach about what scripture's saying, and a very honest approach about how we're living what scripture's saying. And so I want to think about this today. What does it mean to trust God? And, and from here, what we're gonna do is we are going to work through Psalm 121. And so I, I apologize, Igresia, because I looked at the text message I sent there, and it definitely said Psalm 122. And so that's why it wasn't up there. But you know what? Sometimes you gotta hear the word of God and be like, amen to it. All right, so there you go. The back knows what I'm saying. Sna- I, I, y'all, y'all, you know, they're snapping, but y'all couldn't hear them snapping, but they were with me. All right. They were with me. And so we're going to we're going to work through Psalm 121 and we're going to take a look at what it looks like to trust God. Uh, for context, this psalm is attributed. Uh, I want to say it, it, it either 121 or 122. One of them is attributed to David, whether that's, you know, exact, exactly who it is or not. We, we, we don't know. Psalms are tricky like that, to be quite honest. However, Psalm 121 is in a book of Psalms, a, a category of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Everybody say the Psalms of Ascent. All right, that was good. That was that was building energy. We'll keep working on that. All right, we're going to work on it through through the course that we're talking about. And the Psalms of Ascent were psalms that were sung by the pilgrims of Israel. What that means is there were, there were three annual festivals that, that took place in Jerusalem. And all of the Israelites around Jerusalem, three times a year, would pack their bags and head over to Jerusalem for these festivals. Not, maybe not everyone, it would be a lot of people, but as many as could, reasonably could. And while they were going up into Jerusalem, they would start singing these Psalms of Ascent. And so there's several of them. You often realize they're pretty short, they're pretty punchy, uh, because they were meant to be like little hymns, little songs that they were singing as they made their way up to Jerusalem. And this specific uh, psalm of ascent, this song of journey, this song of pilgrimage, talks about when they were coming into uh, the hilly area around Jerusalem and they begin to question whether they were safe or not. And and really, it produces this, this really this beautiful poem about trusting God that's powerful and that actually does speak quite poignantly, quite powerfully to the experience of trusting God. What do I mean by that? I mean, if we're going to break it down into two or three different things that this, this is communicating to us, I think the first one we're going to want to look at is the idea that we will not always automatically trust God. Okay. We will not automatically trust God. In, Just verse one of uh, this psalm, it says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Here the psalmist um, is looking at the mountains and right away he's questioning Where's my help going to come from? There's several different interpretations of this. And I'm not smart enough to tell you what the right one is, because people way smarter than me argue about what the right one is. But the thing is, this idea of the mountains, let's go back to verse 1 real quick, Anisha. This idea of the mountains, looking to the mountains, meant a few different things potentially. One, there's the positive way to look at it, where the psalmist is coming up to the mountain, he sees the mountain and he goes, I look to the mountains, where does my help come from? It clearly comes from God. Right? And so there's this beautiful scene that's all powerful. And, and people are walking up. They look to the mountains. And the mountains inspire them to think about God. And right away, you and me are like, man, not me. I ain't going to lie. Not me. When I look at mountains, I think, man, that's hard to climb. Right? Like, when I, just somebody came back from a, a, a trip recently, and I was talking to them outside, and they were like, our last day there, it snowed 18 inches on the top of the mountain there. And I was like, fam, I hate snow. That's all I thought about. I didn't think about how majestic God was. Thought about how much I hate snow. Thought about how I climbed, not climbed, I hiked. I definitely climbed no mountain. I wasn't there with the little, what is that little, what is the little iron clip called? A carabiner, that's right, that's one of my favorite words. The carabiner on a rope and we're scaling, no, no, no. We hiked and I had a stick. And I was so scared of bears in Colorado that every 10 seconds, I would slap the stick on the ground and go, Just to make sure the bears knew that I was there. That's what I think of when I think of mountains. I don't look at them. Be honest. I love God. I love him. But rarely do I look at mountains and go, look at the mountains. Man, God's big. That happens sometimes. Maybe it happens for you sometimes too. But it don't happen all the time. A lot of times we think, man, I hate snow, whatever your thing is. When you're looking at nature, when you're looking at the world around you, we we look and and not everything around us reminds us of God, to be quite frank. I think actually when we look at the world around us, a a lot of the world around us reminds us of, of the way the other interpretation of this is, that they lift their eyes toward the mountains as they approach Jerusalem and they realize that the mountains are a hard passage, but they have to go through them. And as they make their way through the mountains, they realize that It's going to be difficult. They're going to have to stop and they're going to have to rest and they're going to be weakened. And as they're weakened, in the mountains lies marauders and robbers who are ready to pounce on the tired, weary traveler who know right around this time, all of them people start working their way over to Jerusalem. All of them get tired in these mountains. This is where we're going to make our killing for the year. And they're looking and they're praying on you. And the danger is very real. The danger is very prevalent. Friend, let me be honest with you. I I read that as I was preparing, and and that one, man, I related to it so much more, to be quite frank. Because when I look at the world around me, and maybe this is true of you too, but I'm just going to tell you what I feel. When I look at the world around me, and I look at financial struggles, let's say, I don't look at them and go, man, God has everything. The Psalms say that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus says, why do you, why are you concerned about your future? Look at the birds. Man, he's prov- that I provide for them. Look at the lilies, the flowers. Look how beautifully clothed they are. When I look at my bank account and it feels low, my gut response ain't, man, God provides. That's not how I feel. My gut response oftentimes is, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? I look to those hills and they don't instantaneously take my mind to seeing the grandeur and beauty of God. They instantaneously take my mind to seeing the insecurity of my earthly condition. That's what I see when I look at things sometimes. In fact, let me just be really honest. That's what I see when I look at the world around me most of the time. There are times when things are good and I look and I'm like, oh, man, look at God. But the majority of the time I look at the mountains and I say, man, there's danger in that. There's insecurity in that. We will not automatically trust God, friends. We will not automatically trust God. But that's where this very next question is powerful and important. Where will my help come from? Where will my help come from? As as the psalmist sees danger, he does not automatically begin to trust God, but he questions where danger is coming from, the potential of danger in front of him. And he asks the question, where will my help come from? There's a dialogue going on in his heart and in his mind. And from there, the power becomes the very next verse. In verse 2, it says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In in his commentary about this psalm, a man named Derek Kidner. And this man is extraordinarily smart, y'all. He's a theologian. But if if you ever want to nerd out and you see the name Derek Kidner on a nerdy book about the Bible, you should buy that. So he says, talking about this psalm, talking about this verse, the thought of this verse leaps beyond the hills to the universe and beyond the universe to its maker. Here is living help, primary, personal, wise, immeasurable. Friend, we're not automatically going to trust God. But when we see danger, and it fills our heart with, fills our heart with doubt, with insecurity. The question is whether we see from the hill to the universe, from the universe to its maker. In in other words, I think I I, I honestly I want to say it more like this. There's so often, so often we think trusting the Lord is the absence of fear. I think that's what we've been taught a lot. That's how I think of it oftentimes. That's probably how you think of it a lot of times. In fact, when you start to feel fear, you start to question whether you trust the Lord at all. And you feel that sense of insecurity and then the insecurity gets compounded and you get double punched because then you start feeling a lot of guilt because I, I feel fear that must mean I don't trust the Lord. Now I feel insecurity and I feel bad and I don't trust the Lord. So we think oftentimes that trusting the Lord is the absence of fear when in reality trusting the Lord is a response to fear. I want you to hear what I'm saying again. Trusting the Lord is not the absence of fear but a response to fear. When fear strikes us and it will because the mountains don't, don't change. They're there, right? We're going to come upon them in life, right? The presence of fear doesn't mean that you're not trusting the Lord, but trusting the Lord is a response to that fear, friend. Um, even in the Gospels, I love this little, this little note. I, I, I stumbled upon it as I was reading the Gospels, maybe like three, two years ago. And I started thinking, man, Jesus says don't fear a lot, and the thing is, you probably hear Jesus says, don't fear a lot. And because we think trusting the Lord is the absence of fear, we think Jesus is just walking around being like, why are you fearing? You shouldn't ever fear. I'm here. Why are you fearing? Coward. That's a little aggressive at the end there. But, <laughs> but that's the way I'm talking to myself, right? That's what you're talking to you. In reality, if you trace your way through the Gospels, through everything that Jesus says, Every time he says, fear not, he backs it up with this moment where he goes, fear not because God. And then he inserts the truth about who God is. And so when, when we thought earlier about, about the birds being, being provided for and the flowers being covered and adorned, Jesus actually says, fear not in that verse. He says, don't fear. Don't fear about what you'll wear, about what you'll eat. Look at the birds of the air. Look at how God provides for them. They never go hungry. Look at the flowers of the field. Not even Solomon was adorned with such beauty as them. How much more valuable are you than a bird or a flower? Think about how powerful that is. Not, why are you fearing, you coward? But don't be scared. I know that you're feeling fear, but respond to the fear by seeing the beauty, and the care, and the compassion, and the love of God, and let that be your response to the fear. We're not automatically going to trust God, and that's okay, because trusting God isn't the absence of fear; it's a response to fear, friends. The next thing that I think we need to really think about, and the reason that this idea of responding to to fear is important, um, Is because the other point that I think this verse brings up is that others will also promise false security. Other things will promise false security. What do I mean by that? If we continue on in verse four, the psalmist continues. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. Verse six, the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect you coming and going both now and forever. In the world of Psalm 121, in the world of the person that wrote this, the idea of a God sleeping or slumbering was a very, very common, common language, right? It was this idea that if a God was absent, or if the, 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 a God seemed like he wasn't moving, the way they described the absence of that God, the absence of that God's action was by saying that God must be asleep. Right? We, we see this in the story of the prophets. We, we see this in, in how the psalmists begin to challenge other gods. It's a regular idea talking about the fact that there, is, there may be gods that tell you, right, that they're going to provide security. There may be gods that tell you they're gonna provide safety, but the reality is they're asleep. They don't act, they don't provide, they don't take care. In Israel's day, the temptation of, of false security wasn't found in the same way that our Western or 21st century mind thinks of it. They had other gods that they were willing to potentially sacrifice to. And while they sacrifice to those gods, they may appeal to that God or worship that God in some way and say, this God, I'm inviting you to protect me. That's what their life looked like. That sounds ridiculous to us. I'm not going to lie. If you weren't going to church right now, if you weren't going to a Christian church, I highly doubt one of y'all ain't going to walk out and be like, you know what? I'm Buddhist now. That's not the way our, our culture works. We walk out and we go, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm an agnostic now. And then, then there may be this progressive walk to now I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. And then once you're there, it seems even more foolish that these people thousands of years ago were like, I need protection. I'm gonna go sacrifice to this random statue. But just because just we don't do the same things with the same stone little figures doesn't mean that, that our heart doesn't seek safety in places that false securities promise. Each and every one of us in here has felt fear and thought to ourselves, how do I respond to it? And then we run to something that we think is going to provide safety, going to provide security, going to provide protection, knowing that it's probably not going to. That's the reality of every single person in this room. That's that, I'm going to be honest with you. That's probably the narrative of a bunch of the people in this community that live around where we're meeting right now. The drug addiction and alcohol number, alcohol addiction numbers in a community like this are off the chart. That's why we're we're later this year trying to launch an addiction recovery ministry, because there's not a single regular meeting in this community that provides a space for people to talk and think through that. At least not one that's promoted regularly enough to to make it a well-known, established fact. And yet the, the numbers for addiction in this community are astonishing. Why is that? Why is that? Is it because people just decided, this feels good. This feels nice. I'm going to keep doing this. This looks like it's destroying my life. Ah, I'll just keep going. It's oftentimes not that straightforward. One time I had a conversation with a man on, um, he was a man named Billy. And most of y'all have probably heard me talk. Nah, maybe not. Some of y'all have heard me talk about Billy. Billy was a man struggling with homelessness. Uh, on South Congress roughly about six years ago, uh, maybe seven. I was working at a place called Software Advice, right, on Congress, and, and I would walk up and down Congress during my lunch hour to get food or something like that, but, but also just to, to see people. Um, you know, I like it when I'm surrounded by noise. The quietness of this room is freaking me out at the moment. Um, and, and really what it happened is I met Billy as I was walking up and down the street. And Billy told me, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with homelessness. Not his words, but I'm, I'm out here on the streets. And I asked him why, and he started talking about his addiction to alcohol. When I asked Billy how he got started drinking, uh, he said, at first it was like a way of escape. That was his response to me. That life would get stressful, and when life would get stressful, to take the edge off, he would drink. Now, Anybody that knows me knows that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look at alcohol and be like alcohol universally is bad. Some of y'all that gone to my small group have tasted the have tasted the high quality whiskey that I have in my collection. <laughs> we don't we don't do that maker's mark business at my house, guys. All right. But when when alcohol becomes the place that we run for security, all of a sudden we we can see just from just from Billy's example. The false security of promises. When all of a sudden in the midst of his fear, when he looked at the circumstances of life and he said, I need protection from this. And he said, you know what will relieve the stress, what will relieve the insecurity? Just take the edge off a little bit. Right? That's the promise that we follow. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe some of us say things are hard at work, but it'll be better if I just make more money and I have more financial Security. So I'm going to give myself more and more to that and then we neglect families and we neglect it's easy to look at us at, at a context like our neighborhood. Let me be very honest It's easy to look at a context like our neighborhood and see the the fatherlessness numbers that we have in a community like this And assume that because a father is absent from the house That's the worst thing or that this is the worst case scenario when I know a lot of brothers and sisters that grew up in incredibly well-off, middle-to-upper-class environments who don't feel close to their dad at all because he was never home. Because he decided the best thing for my family, what provides the most security is if I build my career and my family never lacks for anything. More than just not lacking for anything, my family could go on European vacations, vacations to Hawaii, Vacations to Hawaii that I still ain't in the pictures of because I'm sending a text message or whatever to, to a, co- a co-worker. Like, this is, the, this is the way our hearts work, right? We, we, someone tempts us. Something tempts us to say there's security here and we follow it. Friends, like, we're going to wrestle with that. You're going to wrestle with that. When you feel fear, and you're going to feel fear, there's going to be things that come in and say, I can provide a security in this way. And the psalmist is saying there's false security everywhere because those gods, they sleep, they slumber, they don't act. They don't fulfill on the promises they make. But our God, our God doesn't sleep in slumber. He's awake. He acts. He's present. After that, the psalmist begins to trace out all the ways that God protects. He begins to lay out in verse five, the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. He even goes so far to say the Lord isn't some far off God, isn't some far off being that says, hey, I'll protect you if you can make your way over to me. But he enters into the difficult and dark times with you so much so that he's the shade on your right hand. He's by your side. That even in the midst of the shadows of what's concerning in your life starting to encroach on you and the insecurity starts to mount, when you see the shadow overtake you, it's not the shadow of the hills but the shadow of your protector. The Lord protects you. He's right by your side. In verse 5, the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. It's powerful, friends. It's powerful for us as a people when we're wrestling with the idea of whether to trust God. You hear people say this over and over again to consider what he's done in your life and how he's done it. And the thing is, again, you've heard people say that. I think what's challenging about being in a room like church is that most of the things I say, you've already heard. You've already heard to trust God. You've already heard to look back and to look at your life. And that you've already heard that, that trusting God is, is you know, trusting our life to him and knowing that he'll work things out. You, you feel like you've heard all this before. The reality is, though, if I ask any one of us, give me ten times the Lord actually made a difference in your life. Give me ten times where the Lord actually came through. You'd be able to give me one. I'd be able to give you half. Because while we look at the scriptures and they're building this story where people are erecting temples and altars and, and towers and saying, we're going we're to have this as a monument so that every time we pass back around this area, we remember God did this. While you have things like, like Deuteronomy 6 that are instilling this idea, look back and see God redeeming and freeing us in Exodus out of Egypt. Right, while, while the scriptures are oftentimes showing us what it looks like to put ourselves in a position to remember who God is, we sit here and go, I got the right answer, but rarely will we ever actually do it. I don't know how many times, friend, I don't know how many times I have been sitting somewhere, I've been sitting in difficulty, sitting in challenging circumstances, and my mind does not go to what God has done. And it takes someone around me to be like, would you remember when God, and then I'm like, oh yeah. It's such a like a peace can literally come over my heart when I start to remember what God has done and who he is. When I reflect back on the altars of my life and I'm able to look and go, man, that was powerful. That's a testimony of God's character, a testimony of God's love. But the thing is, friends, when we don't have that built out for our heart, for our mind, we look back at a sea of things. And the reality is the ones that stand out the most are probably not the times that God came through. They're probably the times that you struggle the most. I've heard it said that we're not a product of our experiences. We're a product of our memory. You're a product of your memory. And when you're standing and looking at the vast story of your life, if the memories that stick out to you in any given moment are the ones that were hard, that will be what defines your relationship with life. You will look back and go, this is what life is like. This is what God is like. But if we stand back and look at the story of our life and we see the monuments of God's goodness erected along the way, And we see, I remember when he did this here. I remember when he set me free here. I remember when I had a huge step in a sin struggle there. I remember when a relationship was restored here. And I remember when God changed my life there. All of a sudden we look back and we see a story with many chapters, but with the climactic events of each each section of the story being when God actually came through and when God was who he said he was. And we began to be defined by those moments, products of our memory, not just products of our experiences. There was a... uh, there was a, um, like a, uh, what is it called? Like I said, the coffee got me going. Um, a practice or a lesson or an activity in seminary that I remember uh, where they gave you a, a list or a timeline of your life and you, you, it was blank, but it basically said uh, it was one line across and then another line going vertically. And you, you were supposed to put the ages, your age along that, that line And as you put your age along that line, you put back all the years of your life on the bottom, Then you put 10 on one side of the vertical line, 10 on the other side of the vertical line, and then a zero in the middle. The zero is rather neutral, but the, the low 10 was the worst times of your life, and the top 10 were the best times of your life. Then you just traced back through your life and made moments of each one, going back and saying, what was the most difficult moments of my life? What were the most powerful and incredible moments of my life? Friend, I'm not gonna lie to you. That probably took me 30 minutes to do. And that changed the way I looked at my life for probably the rest of my life. Because on that line, I saw my life on a graph. And I saw difficult moments in childhood. I saw mistakes from when I was a teenager I saw teenage breakups that I thought were gonna ruin my my life and the world around me. I saw times where I thought I failed and ruined all of my potential. And then I saw moments like going into my grandpa's bedroom early in the morning and playing tool shed on his side and feeling so safe as he slept. And I played next to him. I saw moments like when I was 19 and I came to the Lord. I take that back, I was 20. It was a hazy time in my life. I was 20 going on 21. And there had been years of drug addiction and low moments and difficult times. And then one moment on a random afternoon during the week where God touched me and everything changed. I saw where I met my wife and I can remember the night, the party, what she was wearing. And I thought to myself, first, I ain't gonna lie, I thought to myself, man, that girl's fine. And then I thought, I really want to know her and in the years that, that came after that. I, I saw the low moment of when we broke up while we were dating and that was really hard and questioning whether this vision I had for my life was actually gonna plan, play out the way I had thought it was. And then the high moment of when we uh, came back together and we're like, you know what? I, I think this is it for us. I saw this. I saw y'all. I saw this church plan. And thinking about the difficulties that came from that. Early on where we launched and it was like, you know, pandemic style. And it was like, we're going to do all these events. And we didn't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> And then from there to now to see your faces here today and the faces that are missing today. And even like being honest, you could ask those that have been here from the jump to have a day like this, where we have empty chairs, obviously, but we also have a ton of people not here today. If you would have asked the same question like a year and a half ago, we'd have been like fam, I don't know, Like, It's been hard. I was able to see all those those moments traced through a graph able to see when God actually was, was there, that he is who he says he is, because I looked back and saw those moments. We're not going to automatically trust God. And there's going to be others that promise false security. And friend, when we, when we have a stable of moments that remind us who God is, we're able to, like the psalmist, say, man, but those false securities, they promise this, but this is who my God actually is. This is who he actually is. And that's important and that's powerful because of our our last specific idea or point here, which is that trusting God is about more than our desires, but about our soul. Trusting God is about more than our desires, but about our soul. And in in verse 7, it says, the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. And this word life is... uh, the Hebrew word, I hate being the pastor that does that. Um, the Hebrew word, and then I ain't, I'm going to butcher this on top of that. Nefesh. Nefesh? Daniel Cleveland, what is it? The second one? Nefesh? All right, I'm going to say nefesh then, just to get under your skin. All right, so. <laughs> uh, but nefesh, this idea of a soul or a whole being. Right? This idea that God will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. He will protect your whole being. In short, I want to tell you that means that things will not go the way you you think they're going to go. Because what this is saying is that God will protect and cultivate that part of you that was made for him, which is everything in you. That means there are some parts of us, to be quite frank, that are made for him, but don't desire him. Fam, I want, I'm going to lie to y'all. I recently got back into, not for the first time, this is a, I'm i returning to this hobby, bonsai trees. <laughs> and I love me some bonsai trees, y'all. I've been out there like obsessively looking at them, and I'm like, bam! you literally watching grass grow right now. Like, that's what you're doing. Just sitting outside them because like, it looked different today. It's been six days. It does not look different today. <laughs> Sorry, TV. But... One of the things that came from this was this idea that I want my backyard to be like this Japanese garden, all peaceful. I want to put my, my bonsai trees and put them somewhere and let them be, be shown so that people can come into the backyard and be like, wow, look at all these, at all these trees that took years of work. Trusting God doesn't mean I, I look at the idea of a Japanese garden and go, that's going to happen. I'm going to trust God. God's going to come through for that. God's going to give me a Japanese backyard. And friend, the reason that that is serious, and I said it so that you could giggle, but the reason that's important is because sometimes we confuse trusting God and demanding from God. Sometimes we confuse trusting God and being expectant of God in ways that just go, hey, I'm going to trust you And by trust you, I mean I'm going to assume you do what I want. And the moment that doesn't happen, we're vastly disappointed. And the God that we proclaim to trust is now the God that we're very bitter at, we're very angry at. When his promise is not, I'll give you everything you want, but his promise is I'll protect your very soul. I'll protect the thing, I'll protect all of you. Not just that weird part of you that's like, I want the backyard to be a Japanese garden but also that part of you that says, man, I want my life to be cultivated for your glory and to understand the depths of your love for me, for me to deeply love you back, for me to show the rest of the world around me that love and to care for uh, the world around me in a way that reflects who you are, that part of me. And hear me, if you're a believer, I think that part of you is there. Even if you don't feel it right now, even if it's dormant right now, like a bonsai tree. It goes dormant and in winter and all of a sudden it feels like there's no life to it. There's no leaves on it. And all of a sudden you, you, you feel like, man, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not X, Y, and Z. Like that, that part of you exists. And the promise of God is when he says, man, I'm going to protect your life. It means I'm going to cultivate and I'm going to build up the whole of who you are. Not just give you your desires, but I'm going to give you what's needed for you to grow into who I desire you to be. Right, that's the promise of God in a text like Psalm 121. And here's the thing, sometimes that directly, that directly challenges the things we desire. Sometimes that directly challenges the way we want our life to go. Directly challenges the way we want our careers to go. Sometimes it directly challenges the way we have a vision for who we are and what we do and where we wanna be and where we wanna go. Sometimes the promise that I will protect your life means that life for us isn't gonna be what we thought, but life in him is better than what we thought, and that's his promise. And I know this hurts, friend, this hurts. It hurts that sometimes those desires aren't aren't little, They're not a backyard Japanese garden. To be quite frank, that's dumb. I'm gonna be honest, that's dumb. If you ever hear me basically, and my wife's gonna love that I'm saying this right now, if you ever hear me basically being like, hey, we're starting work on my backyard to make it, just slap me, because that's dumb. I'm not saying it's dumb for you, it's dumb for me though. But when the deeper desires of our heart aren't met, And it feels like we're struggling to to understand why. It's a lot harder to be like, man, is the life you're protecting a life that I want? That's a question that comes up a lot. I can't answer that question for you because I can't tell you what you want. But I can tell you I think that life is worth it. I think that life is beautiful. I think looking at the mountains and being filled with fear and limping into them and hurting on our trip, on our pilgrimage through this life is better when we look at the mountains and go, where does my help come from? And our mind goes from the mountain to the universe, to the maker of the universe and we place our lives in his hand, and he begins to cultivate the life that that he has for us. Friend, I think that's worth it. I think it's worth it. And you're not alone in it. You're not alone in it. Jesus went through the same moment. Jesus went through each one of these moments. This is how I legitimately feel like I know with certainty That my feelings of insecurity and a little bit of fear aren't looked at by God in some type of like angry, disgusted way. Because when Jesus is in the garden, he's literally sweating blood, the Garden of Gethsemane. Our Savior, our Redeemer, is clearly worried, he's clearly burdened. He sees what's coming, he sees the mountains. And in a lot of ways, he asks the same question. Where does my help come from? Lord, is there any way you can take this cup from me? And the thing is, he wrestles in that moment with false security as well. Right? The idea of just not going to the cross is completely on Jesus' table. You know why? Because Jesus has nothing to atone for. The reason he goes to the cross is not to atone for himself. It's to atone for you and me. So the option is, I can just be good. I can enter into the glory of my Father and not deal and worry about any of this. There's false security there. The reality is that security is presenting itself. Pass it on. And then Jesus, like, like us, remembers that security is about more than just our desires. But not my will, but your will be done. And He recognizes that even his obedience, even his His trust is built on something more than just his comfort, but there's a vision of his life, of who he's going to be in the flesh, but also who you're going to be as his son and as his daughter, that he is going to accomplish through his obedience and through his trusting in God. And so he gets up, he walks out, and he's met by a man that betrays him with a kiss on the cheek. He's taken, he's beaten, he's put on a cross like someone who does not trust the Lord. Also that we who look up to the hills and go, where does my help come from? And we shun God, can be brought into his safety no matter what. Friend, the gospel rings true of the fact that Jesus is not just an example of this, but Jesus is, is our substitute in this. If you're failing to trust God today, I want you to know you're not alone. You're with the rest of us. Every single one of us have looked at the hills and gone, where does my help come from? And then every single one of us has ran into false security. And every single one of us has built that security on the idea that this life must just be about my desires and my comfort instead of my soul. Every single one of us, except one. Except that one that does the exact opposite, that enters and sees the mountains and enters them, that allows the darkness to overcome him. Also, that in the midst of our darkness, we can say with full confidence, You're the shadow at my right hand. You're the shadow at my right hand. Friend, the difficult moments of fear in your life are no longer marked by whether you're going to look at the mountain and and make the right choices. They're marked by the fact that one has has paved the way for God to be your protector, even when you fail to trust him. And that's the good news that you and I walk in right now. You and I walk right now in the truth and the reality, friend, that, that literally nothing in the world can separate us from the presence of the Redeemer, right? The Savior who trusted in our place so that in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our running the other way, the shadow at my right hand, the presence in the midst of pain, the presence in the midst of darkness would remain no matter what? That's what you walk out here today with. How do we tap back into that? I think that's the last question I want to ask. How do we how do we tap back into that truth? Uh the first thing I want to encourage you to do is position yourself. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's go to the first one. There was the one before that. I want to encourage you first, don't be discouraged by fear. There's so many of us in here right now that the moment you feel scared, the moment you feel fearful, you think that you're doing something wrong. Like the anxieties of life somehow were supposed to miss you but get everybody else friend, that's not true. Don't be discouraged by fear. If you're fearful, it's because life is scary and it is sometimes. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you feel fear. But the second thing, from that fear, I want to encourage you to position yourself to be reminded of God's protection and care. Do what I do. What I just mentioned to you. There was all this like, oh, read this paragraph in this X, Y, and Z book when I did that little exercise with the years and the thing. You don't need all that. It was helpful, but you don't need it. Today, if you want to go home and write a little graph and put 10, 10, and then the years of your life, that's an exercise you can do today to start making this story of how God has, has protected and been present in the midst of your story from position yourself to be reminded of God's protection and care, evaluating your own life, but also inviting yourself to, to be known and to know the lives of others. Because, man, it may not be that, that you can think of every single moment in your life. But when I give you just that little moment of my graph, maybe it reminds you of some things that God has done in your life. So maybe you don't need, I ain't going to say you don't need, everybody needs uh, to, to self-reflect on your own, the course of your own life. But maybe it's that you need to surround yourself with people to share their, the story of their life with you. If the story of your life is the only story that you're seeing right now, then, man, friend, um, Because of how our flesh works, you're in the cage with a lion. But if you position yourself to hear the story of God through the context of the scriptures, the context of other people's lives, man, there's something powerful and encouraging about that. So don't be discouraged by fear. And second, um, position yourself to be reminded of God's care and protection. I'm not having my watch on today. All right, last story. Uh, We're sent out of a well, a church that a lot of y'all are familiar with. Uh, Some of you aren't, but uh, the church that sent our church out in September of 2019. So technically, our church is like four years old, five years old, four years old, something like that, close to it. Y'all have heard me tell the story before, we built uh, a lot of plans, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, none of them happened, because the pandemic shut down, everything, and uh, we had to go online, and all that stuff, and it was, it was frustrating, because we'd never even done this together, like, we'd never had a church service, we'd had some meetings, and we're like, we're going to go, like, tell the community we love them, and then the city was like, no, you aren't, and, um, and then it was like, okay, so then we started doing, like, Google, you know, YouTube stuff, and, and that type of deal, and then finally, we, we started to, to meet in person in August of 2021, and that was exciting for a lot of us. And we were using a, a phrase back then, I was using it, ignorantly and mistakenly, where I said, hey, we kind of made it out of the pandemic unscathed. What that meant was, man, we kind of kept most of our people and we're doing pretty well and uh, we're getting ready to get started. And then we realized quickly, over the course of uh, August, 2021 to August, 2022, that that was not true. That was very much not true. People were still suffering from the reality of the pandemic that they were living in or just recovering from it. And the turnover from August, 2021 to August, 2022 was massive. To the point that I look at this group and the group that's in here today, even with the people missing and the people missing are largely not still in this conversation this is a wildly different landscape. I mean, wildly different landscape than was present in, in August of 2021. And let me tell you, I thought that s- September 2019 to August 2021 was hard. August 2021 to August 2022 was exponentially harder. It was so hard. As a leader, I, I, was, I was shaken up. felt like every other week I was like, all right, so I think this person's going to leave. And then we'd celebrate, like, one couple that, like, came and joined the church. It was probably a lot of y'all. were a lot of, like, the encouragement of, of our hearts during that time. Uh, and then, like, two weeks later, we'd be like, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this, and I think I just need to go somewhere where I can, like, be served. And it's like, man, I understand that because we're a church plant, and the reality is that we're probably going to do a lot of, like, let's go reach other people. Uh, and, and that's you need that early on to survive and to, to, to be Okay. And it was challenging, it was really hard. The things that I learned about myself during that time were a lot. I learned one, that I didn't trust God with the church. I trusted a 30 page planning document that I made in July of 2019 with the church. That's what I trusted the church with. And the moment all that went to heck is the moment I got super discouraged. And I got really scared. And I looked at the mountains, and I looked at everything else, and I thought, what are we going to do? Because my security and my safety was in a 30-page planning document. And from April 2020 to today, then three points that I put up there have been alive and well in my life. I do not trust God automatically. I still don't. There are times when some of y'all are like, man, I'm discouraged. And because of like how the 2021 to 2022 time goes, I'm like, oh, they're finna leave our church. Like, seriously, that's just the way I got, I got that's the way 2021 to 2022 went. You'll be like, hey, can we get lunch? And I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and then I look back at probably from August 2022 to now, and I see a lot of y'all's faces. I see Jermaine becoming an elder. Uh, I see the men that have gone through uh, our elder development process, extraordinarily encouraged by them. I see people like Jerry and Anisha, uh, who just feel like they've come alive in taking responsibility for things and loving people. I, oh God, I'm definitely, I'm gonna start naming y'all. I don't care. If you got a problem with it, you can hit me up later. Uh I see people like Joe and Carissa who are in know, Ecuador right now. I don't know, they're they're living their best life today. Um who are legitimately Joe is such a young man. Joe is 26, maybe, something like that. And I see him do things like we have a meeting for our family support ministry. And this man walks up right away and he's like, hey, man, uh, we should start like a prayer group for this and, and get together and pray for this thing and start praying for the families that we're going to reach. And I'm like, fam, who are you at 26? Like, this is great. Reminds me of mom back in the day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I see so many of y'all and I'm like, man, you're the little markers of the past couple of years that make me go, man, that's God. There have been hard moments, and I look to the hard moments, and sometimes my heart still flutters. But y'all have been great examples and encouragements to me to think, but that's who God is. And the thing is, the people that, that may have needed to go, again, the pandemic was really hard. They probably did really need to. They probably did really need to. Even now, where we are at this moment, we we can provide more for for y'all now than we could then for them. And so that it, it's understandable. But man, the the amount of of realizing that God is gonna, God is gonna provide, and he's going to protect the life, not in the way I want it, but in the way that that cultivates what he desires for us. And friend, it's powerful and it's beautiful. It's hard. It's difficult. It's scary. It has low moments. And then there's spring back moments that make you think like everything's going to be okay. And then there's left hooks that come again. And then you're like, nothing's going to be okay. And it's just this wild ride that keeps us clinging. keeps us clinging on and going, you are who you are. And I'm going to trust you. I love you. I'll follow you. That's what I hope comes from our relationship with him. I hope that at the end of the day, you're not going, I have everything I want. Uh, but you're clinging desperately to the one we all need. And if that's the end point, that'll be worth it let's pray father thank you so much for this morning thank you for um our ability to see you trust you know you thank you for our time serving you and loving you and being loved by you father i do pray that as we look at the mountains of our our lives we look at the things that are intimidating the things that are scary uh and as we do question internally where is my help going to come from that our eyes would go from the hills to the universe and to you uh, that we would see you, that we would recognize that we're not meant to be discouraged by fear and trusting you is not the absence of fear, but, but is a response to the fear of our hearts. And so help us, Father, help us to, to see you, love you, help us to trust in your son who trusted you even unto death, death on a cross, so that we who, who struggle to trust, we who at times don't, just straight up don't, we don't respond, we run to false security, could still be coupled right next to you. With, uh, with your protection and your love because of the work of your son in our place. We love you. We thank you today. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.